Hello and welcome to the My Hope Story podcast from Hope Community Church, Balanak. Stories of hope, all about Jesus. Excellent. So, John, good to have you. This is our second, what we call our Hope Beyond podcast. So, guys, I've been um, being interviewed by Anthony in our church for our My Hope Story podcast. And last week, I interviewed Stuart Patterson, which is great. I think I said that to you, didn't I? And I was like, you should come and do this too. Yes, John was like, yes, I'm desperate to talk to you, Pete. So that's good. Now, John is our local MSP and he lives in Berlanark as well, which is cool. Maybe we'll come on to that in a bit. But um, thank you for coming, John. It's that's great. great. To nice to be along. Thank you. So, John, let's just chat through then, I guess, your childhood upbringing. Obviously, you're here because you are a Christian and we'll chat a wee bit about that as well. But where were you born? What was family life like when you were growing up? Okay, uh, well, originally I'm from Rutherglen, oh. which, uh, in case anybody doesn't know, that's just, just outside Glasgow. Mm-hmm. We do not consider ourselves <laughs> uh, Glaswegians, uh, so I'm an incomer in, in that <laughs> sense. Uh, but I was brought up there, and, well, I mean, I might as well give you my age at the start, so I'm 63, so I, I was, that was in the 60s. Wow. And, um, you know, still a lot of people went to church in Scotland mm-hmm. at that point, out of tradition, out mm-hmm. of habit, and our family did as well. I think, my, looking back, my mother had a stronger faith than my father. He, he was a bit more nominal. And the church was pretty liberal, I would say. But like, was it Baptist Church? The church of Scotland, Presbyterian. So, um, I, 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 think I, I think I've always accepted that God existed. Mm-hmm. So I think I've, I don't ever remember questioning that, really, that there was a God and God existed. But I, I don't remember hearing anything at church about you could have a personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. You could kind of know him or anything like that. Yeah. So it was in my teens at school through Scripture Union oh, right. uh, that um, I came to realise that you can have a personal relationship uh, with God. And again, for me, you know, for some people, it is very much on this day, at mm-hmm. this time, I gave my life to Christ. And, and that's great. But for me, I think it was more of a kind of gradual thing when I was maybe 14, that kind of age, yeah. um, that as I began to understand more, I maybe kind of gradually made more of a commitment. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I was in whatever, third, fourth year, I, was, I would say I was definitely a Christian, yes, a believer. Um, but it wasn't... Yeah, well, you get... To be fair, I can't remember that one moment either. I remember right. a number of moments right. that... Yes. So people, people are different. I mean, the important thing is that you know Jesus now. Yeah. How you came to know him. Well, we see that in the Bible. People came to know, follow Jesus in lots of different ways. Wait, did, I'll just say, this is cool. I actually don't know much of your story, so I didn't even know you were right. from Rutherland originally. Which yes. Is kind of cool. so, like, which is you, why I'm a client supporter. Okay. That's not, that's not. Like, Rutherland's not in yes. Clyde or Cumberland. Well, it was. How is it? Because Clyde played at Shawfield. Oh, really? Although actually, uh, not to get too diverted off the subject, but Clyde originally started in the East End of Glasgow at an area called Barrowfield. So uh, I am the MSP for the area (laughs) where Clyde used to be. Then they went to Rutherglen, uh, to Shawfield, Mm -hmm. which is um, just on the edge of Rutherglen, Glasgow. And um, they were there for quite a long time became homeless, and now we're in Cumbernauld. So. See, I just assumed it was a political thing that you support, like, just that you'll keep yourself neighbour side of the divide, so that's Well, I don't know if we're going to talk about sectarianism <laughs> further along, but yeah, there are issues. But, I mean, there are MSPs, for example, who support both Rangers, mm. well, some support Rangers, some support Celtic, and are quite open about it, but I think there are some advantages in supporting one of the other teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, admittedly, that's why mm. one of the reasons why I support Motherwell. Like, I, from my background in Northern Ireland, most people assume I would support Rangers. 
Um, and like, there's a number of reasons why I didn't, but I think that's a helpful thing too. Supporting Motherwell as a pastor, it doesn't you don't necessarily get cast in one of those. But also, I mean, it affects lots of parts of my life that I would rather support the small yeah, yeah, thing rather than the big thing. So, I mean, I'm always delighted, frankly, when any smaller club beats Rangers and Celtic, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, it's the same with businesses and it's the same, I suppose, with people. I mean, uh, you know, it's the, the small person's often worth oh, spending time on. Anyway, so Rutherland growing up, like, did you were always been in Rutherland then? Like, throughout childhood, you went yes. to school in Rutherland? Like, what was that like? Well, I was actually, I did notice that when you interviewed Stuart that uh, he was at Hutchie for three yeah, years. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, I was at Hutchie. Really? So, I primary up to, what, four, I was in, in Burnside, and then after that it was Hutchie. Hmm. Which, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not broadly supportive now of independent or private schools. There's probably a place for them. I mean, because I came to faith through school, and that's obviously mm-hmm. the main thing in my life, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't want to be too critical, but I, I certainly didn't enjoy school. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say it was the best days of their life. Well, it was not the best days of my life. Um, like any I, particular reasons? Was it well, I kind of thought it, but I didn't enjoy it, mm-hmm. really. And... I mean, it was quite a competitive environment, yeah. and you know, I, I'm not. I'm in schools occasionally now, but not so much. But I mean, if if you weren't good at sport, then you, you were pretty far down the pecking order. Yeah. And if you were good at sport, you were at the top. And I wasn't good at sport for many years until we get the chance to do cross country running, okay. which I found I could do. So then suddenly, you know, it changed a bit. Yeah. Um, but most of the stuff I didn't. I quite enjoyed maths, but that was about it. And were you into like modern study? Did you have that back in the day, modern studies? We didn't have modern studies then, no. Was so that, that wasn't an option. Any stuff or anything? Even, I mean, I'm an accountant, we'll come on to that, mm-hmm. but I mean, uh, we didn't have accounts, didn't have economics, <laughs> n- nothing like that. It was pretty traditional. What about like public speaking or anything? Are we in the debating no, team? No, I mean, that was not. There was a debating club, I think, but I did not like public speaking. If there was one thing, I mean, I told you I didn't like school that much, but if there was one thing I really hated, it was, I think, in the English classes, we had to do give a speech for two minutes or something. And it, that was one of the worst experiences of my life. I just hated that. And uh, so it's interesting, and I would say God's been part of that to bring me to where mm-hmm. I am now. And I, uh, well, I I'll quite enjoy this guy talking, but I mean, even, uh, you know, making a speech or that yeah, kind of yeah. thing, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it, was, it came naturally to me. Mm-hmm. But, the, the, you know, a good thing tied in with coming to faith through SU was some of the teachers, Christian teachers in the mm-hmm. school. And uh, there's one called uh, John McKee who, you know, went beyond just being a teacher and, you know, actually some of the stuff probably wouldn't be allowed now, but he had a holiday home in, in a, it was a converted church. He was changing into a house in Arden and okay. we used to go down and help him, you know. And, and all of that, I mean, that's been part of my background. And uh, you know, another teacher, Martin Petty, was a maths teacher. And, um, you know, they had a big impact on my life, encouraged me and things, because I didn't have any self-confidence or anything. So That's um, interesting. Again, that weirdly enough, good. a similar story to me. Like, I hated English talks. I used to, like, total shrink in when you do that thing, and then now I kind of talk for a living. So it is funny how God takes those things and, and changes it. Like, um Friends at school, like, were you, like, did you have any Christians, were fr- friends were Christians? Did you, yeah, like, so, what kind of stuff were you into? I mean, the mates? school was quite, uh, you know, the, the, the school was not, uh, on the whole, didn't have a Christian ethos, I would say. And uh, so we, we were definitely a minority, and that was quite a good place to be, I think. And, you know, because I've always been in a minority, Christian minority since then, mm-hmm. including in my, in my present job. And um, 
So, you know, I remember having arguments with others in, in class and things. Mm. And there was I'm some... sure you wouldn't argue, John. I can't imagine that. But... Well, that's good. But, uh, <laughs> no, there was a group of us uh, committed Christians. And funnily enough, uh, some of us have started getting together again, recently having not really been in touch very much. Uh, but Zoom has bring, yeah, like, get, lets you meet up. So, um, yeah, that's been good. So, I mean, good things came out of school, but as I say, it wasn't my main thing. And then maths, I think I said, was the subject I did enjoy, but I didn't, I didn't want to be a teacher, I knew that. So I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um, my father was an engineer, my mother was a teacher, so um, eventually I kind of fell into accountancy, which I didn't know much about, quite frankly, but I knew it was numbers. Mm. And uh, so that, I did a degree and then trained as a chartered accountant okay. CA. Where'd you go to after, uh, Glasgow, that was all Glasgow, my training was in Glasgow. Okay. Um, and uh, that, that, that was, I'm not sure I enjoyed university very much either, <laughs> but um, actual, moving forward a bit, I mean, accountancy uh, on the whole, I mean, I like that, I like working with numbers, I enjoyed accountancy, uh, although I don't get very much chance to do it now. That's fine. Do you know that I did accountancy at uni as well? I'm I feel like sure I'm interviewing myself here, John, just a lot okay. older. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank have you. you got brothers or sisters? Yes, I've got a brother and sister. Um, and uh, they are, my brother's a vet, so he's mm -hmm. down in uh, Wales, and my sister's in Cambus Lang. Mm -hmm. She's a nurse. And my are you mother's, a close family? Sorry? Close as a family? I think we've got quite strong relationships, but I wouldn't say close so much. Uh, but uh, I suppose it depends, it depends <laughs> how you def define these things. Um, I mean, I don't know when this is going out. My mother is in a care home in Rutherglen and heading towards the end of her life, I would say. Um, but uh, that's it. Um, my father had an interesting death, if, you, if that's uh, not, okay. <laughs> if you'd like to say that. He, he, well, he'd not been well, he was a heavy smoker all his life and uh, had an aneurysm and things, but uh, latterly he, his faith became much stronger. Okay. They had an evangelical minister, came to that same church. What church was it? Uh, it was called Stonelaw. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so having been, we had a, a small group within it who did Bible studies and things. Yeah. So there was, there was a kind of core for quite a number of years, but I wouldn't have said it was an evangelical church. And then a new minister came and it, it changed quite a mm -hmm. lot. My father came to a much stronger faith through that, awesome. which was about the time he was retiring and things. So he got more involved in the church and he was in the church choir <laughs> and he was singing one Sunday in the church choir and he just died like that. Wow. Which I suppose from his point of view was pretty good. Yeah. You know, a good place to be, but a bit of a shock for everyone else. And a Sunday morning? On a Sunday morning. Were you there? I wasn't there, my mother was there. And how long ago was that? Oh, uh, well, she was 17, 1997, so quite wow. a while ago. Yes. And that is interesting. That's... Uh, yes, that's right, but it's a good way to go. I mean, when you look at, you know, there's, there's these big moral questions of assisted dying mm -hmm. and things, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. is quite current. And they are difficult questions because I, I, I've seen my mother just decline very, very slowly over quite a long period. Mm -hmm. And that's quite tough going, uh, both for her and for everyone else. Um, and my father, you know, and, and you can say partly through his own fault because he smoked so heavily, but, um, you know, just dying very suddenly. In some ways that was easier potentially. Well, there's, there's something quite attractive about that, I think. Because I know you've been, like, as part of the last <clears throat> courage of the last year, like, quite pushing for some care home visiting and stuff as well. I guess it must be quite hard with your mum mm -hmm. being so close and yet you can't... Yes, we, I mean, we've been... We didn't see her for a while and then we were fortunate that... Um, it's, it's quite a small care home, mm -hmm. and it, it's, well, 
can probably say it's it's Abbey Field, which is third sector and smaller, and so it's not it's not a big kind of international company or anything. And um, they've been good, and so we could we've been able to like we could sit outside, and she was inside, and um, we could see her. So I mean, I saw her a week past Sunday. And my sister saw her on Sunday, so we'll see where that goes. So, so you got brother, sister, mum and dad going to Stone Law, Church of Scotland. Scotland yes. Um, the user phrases here like evangelical, like which obviously I would identify as evangelical as well. Like so, when you through Scripture Union, would you have like identified as that then? Would you have known what that? meant like I'm an evangelical Christian now or was that well we were I think we were quite hard line I mean I remember one of my friends saying that we thought that I was proud of that as well probably that if you hadn't become a Christian through scripture union you weren't a real Christian <laughs> okay. so we were I'm afraid quite critical of the rest of the church and I think in retrospect a, bit, a little bit too harsh <laughs> um and I also remember flaming rows with my father who I saw as very liberal and <laughs> not really born again so um of a at meal table, and I remember my mother getting upset one time because it was a church kind of meeting, mm-hmm. and I was arguing with my father in public <laughs> in the church, and my mother said she couldn't really handle that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, I was a little bit. We were, some of us were a bit harder line at the time, perhaps. And so was it through like? So I, I was involved in SU for a long time growing up. I was mainly involved in camps in the summer. Mm-hmm. A little bit of the schools work. So you, when you were saying scripture union, were you meaning school stuff? Yeah, both, you... yes. I had camps as well. I was very involved in campsites, especially at school, which oh, yeah. is near North Berwick. It's my first camp. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, but occasionally at places like King's Cross and Arden, and uh, I did a sailing thing one time and different things. So. And so when you, as you were going through high school at Hutchie, like before you, you went to uni for your accountancy, were you, was SU still a kind of key part? To... No, SU was the key part because there was little happening in church, really. I mean, I, I did feel, because some, some of my friends, the, the issue was that some people would leave a kind of, well, what we call dead churches, which again was a little bit harsh, <laughs> but, a, you know, let's say less lively churches, and would head off to maybe something else, and Queen's Park Baptist okay, yeah. then as now was quite a big, flourishing, mm-hmm. lively church in the south side of Glasgow. So I had friends who basically left whatever church they were in and went there. Um, however, I think... Partly because we, we, we did have a Bible study group in the church, and so we had a kind of core, and um, we uh, felt, I felt that I should stay in okay. that church. And so, and so as you went to uni as well, were you still... Teaching Bible class, so all through uni, I stayed at home and was involved in the church, but also got involved in Christian Union. Okay. And uh, so that was great, because then a very wide range of speakers, I realise I'm getting older, but... <laughs> People like Willie Still, oh, and there's wow. something called the Creef Fellowship, yeah, yeah. Um, George Duncan from the Tron, yeah, yeah. you know, were fabulous speakers, Richard Gorey from uh, SU, and uh, they would come regularly every Thursday and speak uh, to the students. So a lot, a lot of my Christian growth was mm-hmm. through SU, through Christian Union, and, um, and also reading. I mean, I devoured books like C.S. Lewis and G.I. Packer and yeah, all yeah. these kind of people. John Stott. So that was very much, a, you know, how I grew as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So I'm, a, I'm still a real believer in books and um, and reading how important that is. Yeah, yeah. And I fear, you know, maybe people aren't so good at that these days. Yeah, but... and that's one of the things we would do as well. We would, like, I regularly <clears throat> give out books. Like, we've got books that we would write, but even I would happily give out Packer. I gave out a copy of Knowing God last week. Mm. Um, yeah, tons of them. I think there's there's so much to be said just by 
if you've got the, if you want to know Jesus yourself, there's this desire to want to know more, and books are just a great way to, yes. to do that. Well, sure. especially if you don't have maybe the Christian background, which I, or the evangelical Christian yeah, yeah. background, which I didn't have <clears throat> in, through church and things, that uh, you know, books were a great way to get to. But I mean, at that time, within the Church of Scotland too, the evangelicals were a pretty small group, mm-hmm. and there was this thing called the Creef yeah, Fellowship, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes called the Magic Circle, <laughs> and you know, there was jokes about they could meet in a telephone box and all this kind of yeah, thing, because yeah. there were so few. Whereas that's really changed, and one of the encouraging things in the Church of Scotland is, you know, how, how many more mm-hmm. evangelical ministers there are now, yeah. uh, which which is excellent. So let me we can chat a wee bit, I guess, further on whenever you, because I know you're not a part of the Church of Scotland just now, but you're through uni, CU, it's going well, and then what happens after uni? Then so you graduate, could you do your accountancy professional yeah. qualifications as well? Like, is that is still in Glasgow? Like, where's? Yes, yeah, so, so I did um, a. CA training, so that went, it was like an apprenticeship basically, yeah. so you went and worked for three years and did your studying block release and things as well, which I actually, I, I, I did better, some people did better at university and then couldn't handle studying and working together, mm-hmm. whereas I was the other way around, university was kind of laid back and yeah. not very disciplined and I'd, I'd got through but just, yeah. and then, uh, but once there was a real pressure on from work and mm. studying together, uh, I got through that okay, so that, so that was good. And that was the big, one of the big firms in Glasgow, but they had offices all around the world. And in 1979, um, Rhodesia was a problem. They, were, they had declared UDI. Okay. If that's I have no idea what you're talking about right now, John. Uh, so Rhodesia was part of the British Empire. Okay. Uh, they decided they wanted to remain a white country, ruling the blacks. Okay. So they declared universal, Unilateral Declaration of Independence, okay. UDI which was not recognised really by anybody except South Africa, which also obviously had apartheid at the time. So as a result, Zambia was next door, and the firm I was with couldn't get anyone to go to Zambia because they were all worried about mm. what was happening next door. So they got some of us who were still training to go for three months at a time. And so I had three months in Zambia, which was my first time you know, really outside Europe. Mm. We didn't go on foreign holidays really much as a family, and... Uh, so that was completely different, but also, you know, only three months, but quite informative. Got inv- was involved in a brethren oh, wow. church there, got to know, and, and Zambia, I mean, it was at that time, certainly, you know, kind of Christianity was much more upfront and to mm-hmm. the fore than it is here. And mm-hmm. if you gave somebody a lift, they would say, God bless you at the end, which mm-hmm. didn't happen in Scotland. So it, it, it let me see that I could cope living overseas in a pretty strange mm-hmm. uh, environment, culture. But I did feel at the same time that if I ever did go overseas, it wouldn't be probably to a country like that, which was so, you know, kind of openly Christian. So what age would you have been at that point? Uh, 1979, 22, maybe-ish. That's right, so, that was... so I was just three months at a time and then you came back? Well, I was, just, I was only there for three months, I mean, full stop. But uh, it was, you know, it was, it was interesting, it was significant and... Mm-hmm. It certainly took away any fear I had of going to live in strange places. Um, so I trained as an accountant, so that took about three, four years, and, but I, I didn't like auditing, which was the main part of the training. So I was praying about and thinking about, but not expecting kind of a lot of guidance so much at that stage uh, as to what my next step should be. And I'd, I'd wondered, I mean, I did actually apply for a job with Greg's the Bakers, <laughs> who were based in Rutherglen. And uh, got quite close, and I got, I think there was 40 people applied for the job. 
and it got down to two and I came second and I was really disappointed at the time but but then I thought well God's hands in that mm-hmm. because if, if I was no use for the job I wouldn't even have got up down to that level <coughs> the final interview and if he'd wanted me to get it, it must have been pretty close, so he could have got me got it. So I, I felt that he had specifically closed the door on that okay. route, and then I began to think, well, where else? Because struck me, Craig's was quite kind of you know, it wasn't making nuclear weapons or yeah, yeah. whiskey or anything <laughs> bad, but um, you know, bread and cakes. Got to say, whiskey's bad. Right? <laughs> that's a bad. That's a full part there. We need to edit that. <laughs> well, it was. A company making bread and cakes and things, I felt was great. <laughs> something you can be quite committed to, let's say. So um, then I thought, well, I began to think, well, maybe I should work for a Christian organisation. Okay. And kind of looked and prayed, and I was getting prayer letters from different places. And OM, Operation Mobilisation, I thought of going with them before, maybe from in the summer for a month or so. And they wanted to do the ships? Yes. Okay. So they had one ship originally, then two, and now it's back to one again. But... Um, Yes, they were originally, it started in America, George Verwer, who again, I would encourage people to read his books. Um, But uh, he started going to Mexico and, you know, he was an interesting character if you've ever heard him speak. I think I've actually heard him speak in the ship, like maybe 15 years ago, would that be possible? Yes, I mean, the ships have been in Scotland, Northern Mm. Ireland. The first place, the two, when they'd Logos and Doulos, the first place, I think the the two ships ever were in the same place together was Belfast. Uh, but anyway, so yes, he started off, he took students down to Mexico and evangelised in mm. way back. He became a Christian through Billy Graham and uh, started OM, uh, Operation Mobilisation, and I was attracted to it. I mean, I'd heard about them when I was at university and they were seemed pretty committed to me. And um, so I found out they needed an accountant or a few accountants, so I joined OM for two years. Mm-hmm. So I was doing accountancy, but in very much a Christian context. In Glasgow still? Or? Uh, no, that was in London, in okay. Bromley and Kent. Okay. Uh, so, which was, was the main base at the time. George Ferrell was based there. The book ministry, what was called STL, Send the Light, was based oh, there yeah, as well. Okay. And um, so that was one of the main hubs for OM, and I had two years there. And... I mean, the accountancy side was fine. I mean, it was fairly straightforward. But I think two things probably I got from that. One um, was the emphasis on missions and the needs around the world. Because, I mean, that's 1982, three, that kind of time. Uh, you know, Scotland's pretty needy. I mean, there's, you know, Christian, definitely a Christian minority here. But when you start hearing about other countries, and I remember at that time in Turkey... You know, it was it was kind of like a handful of Christians in the whole of Turkey and 50 million people. Okay. And, you know, so I really admire eyes open to the needs around the world. And so when you're talking about mission and need, you mean the need for people to become Christians? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and OM at that time, OM's changed, but I mean, at that time, that was absolutely the focus. There was a bit more of a divide between, you know, helping people with their physical needs mm-hmm. and digging wells and things, which mm-hmm. Tier Fund and others do. <clears throat> But um, OM's absolute focus was on, and it was quite, it, it, was, it was a bit more strict at that time. You weren't allowed to ask for money, so you could only pray for money, and then if people asked. So it was, it was, you were always in a shoestring. Yeah. And, um, we, you know, we lived on, we, it was communal living. You got a few pounds maybe yeah. for pocket money, and that was about it. So although I was in London, I certainly didn't see very much of London if it wasn't free. Um, but, uh, the, and the other thing was prayer. 
uh, that that really changed me as far as prayer was concerned, because there was such an emphasis in prayer. They had every Tuesday night, I think, um, from about seven till midnight, half night of prayer, just for missions. So we're not praying for your needs or my needs or anything, just for missions, Turkey, India, whatever. And that, so that was revolutionary for me, and it was a challenge, you know, and lots of people found it a challenge to pray for missions for five hours every Tuesday. But it, it kind of really changed my prayer life, and, 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 and then it had a kind of knock-on effect in the rest of my prayer, because if I'm praying for missions for five yeah. hours, well, I want to pray a bit more for other things too. So then I um, would uh, pray, and, and OM's into um, memorising you know, yeah. scripture like you learned Philippines off by wow. the Lord. I would be struggling that. <laughs> I suppose it's in there somewhere. They say you don't forget things, you just can't remember them. So that's a real time but, of growth for you as a Christian? You yes. Think, oh, yes. I, which I, I saw OM, I mean, OM was a mission organisation in itself, but I think I saw it at the time and still do as, a, as also a training organisation. Mm. So a lot of people spent just a year or two and then went on to something else. But it had a huge impact on me. And George Fairwork still is one of the Christian leaders that I most respect anywhere and still keeps in touch. I mean, he's over 80 now. He still writes to me. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable awesome. uh, because I've been, I've met a lot of people, I've been a lot of places, but he is remarkable in his, and the way he's held that together because yeah. within that, um, you know, there was charismatics, there was non-charismatics. There was just such a mixture of people, not to mention cultures, Ameri- yeah, yeah. you know, American, European, and uh, yet everybody had this respect for him. And it, it continued, OM continues, but... Uh, no, my, um, my folks are right into OM, so I think yeah. my stepdad would have loved to go on the ship. My mum's yes. a bit more of a homebird. Yeah, I, n- I never went on the ships, I've uh, visited the ships, but uh, anyway, and um, we did a lot of door-to-door evangelism and, and things in, in London as well. On Friday so were you nights. a member of a church down there? Yes, we, ha- we had to, that was one of the rules. I mean, OM was quite strict. It's good, I like us OM, by the way, maybe we should get them back. <laughs> Before you even joined, you had to read certain books. Uh, which I believe they don't do that anymore. But anyway, um, yes, you had to be in a local church. And um, I, again, I suppose I, I don't always, you know, do what everybody else does. I don't <laughs> go with the flow. And um, I went to a Methodist church, which wasn't particularly evangelical. It was more like my home church okay. in that there was a core group of, pe- yeah, yeah. of committed Christians within it. And a lot of it was a bit liberal. Mm-hmm. But again, we had, there were the house group, Bible studies. And uh, I, I was the only OM person who went to that church. Most of them went to Baptist or Pentecostal or something like that. <clears throat> so, uh, but I, I used to visit other churches. I used to go to like Westminster Chapel okay. and... Um, other churches in London occasionally, so that, so that was good experience. Uh, Ichthus, if you've ever come across them, R- Roger and Faith Foster. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, so I've still got I've still got connections with them. Uh, so that was um, yes, while I was with OM. And the two years two then years. in London. Yes. And then what happened? Where did you go after that? Well, I I felt um, there was a prayer meeting one night and one of these long prayer meetings. <laughs> And I just felt God saying to me that I should go to a country where it wasn't easy to preach the gospel. So I kind of put out feelers. The Church of Scotland I started with. Um, so in other words, I mean, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my gift. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuart, like last week you had, you know, I think it is his gift. So, um, and I think we're all meant to evangelize and share the gospel. But, you know, I think some people have a special gifting in that regard. I think I agree. Um, Arthur Blessett, if you remember. I mean, he used to... You can't old folk here, oh, John. Come on. I'm a young age. Age. <laughs> he, 
what he did, he had a cross, and he took this cross, with, I think with a wheel at the end, and, and walked with this cross I think I've heard across America, across yeah, yeah. Africa, like all around the world, just amazing guy. And he was somebody, he'd, all he needed to say, this was a kind of joke, he, if he said bananas, somebody would become a Christian. You know, he just had this gift, there was this thing about yeah. him. And, and so some people have that, was my point. And, um, but I don't. And uh, so I felt spoke to Church of Scotland and they said, uh, well, there's one or two places we're needing an accountant and uh, one is Nepal and whatever. And so that, that kind of began to move forward a bit. And then the Church of Scotland had problems with its budget and they said they couldn't send me, but they told the, what's called the United Mission to Nepal, which was a kind of umbrella body that I was available, so they said, well, you could come with another mission organisation, so I went with what was called BMMF and is now called InterServe. Okay. Um, and so they specialised in taking in professional people, so that could be doctors, foresters, hydro engineers, nurses, accountants, anything, into work in Nepal. We worked in joint, joint, jointly with the government. You were only allowed to go if you had that kind of job. You, and would it have been closed to yes. like Christians at that yes. point? Yeah. So there wasn't persecution in the sense of North Korea or Saudi Arabia or something, but it was against the law to change your religion and you were not allowed to evangelize. So that was two of the kind of key things. So like if people became Christians, they got baptized at night and I, foreigners weren't allowed, you know, it would just be a few people. And there were Christian pastors in prison at that time mainly for baptising people. That was the key thing. They, they, they didn't mind you going to church so much, but if somebody got baptised, that was seen as the key thing. Yeah. And it was mainly the pastor rather than the person being baptised who was put in prison. But again, that was a tremendous experience, uh, three years, and um, completely different culture. So what was life like there? Like we, So you're working as an accountant for... The mission organisation? Yes, this or? United Mission to Nepal. They had several hospitals, some schools, hydro schemes, forestry, whole range of things. Because Nepal at that time would be one of the six poorest countries in the world. It had only opened, it, it had not been colonised because Britain had done a, like a deal with them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, where the Gurkhas came from mm -hmm. in the army. Yeah, yeah. And so there was an agreement, but India, for better or worse, got roads and railways through the British. Nepal got none of that. Mm -hmm. So even in the 50s, they had no roads if, to speak of, no railways, no nothing, uh, virtually no electricity. And only in the 50s did they open up. So even by the 80s, they hadn't moved very far forward. Loads of areas didn't have any roads. No. There was no TV um, and, you know, just very, very basic. And so we had our organisation, we had hospitals and different things. And so did you see, was there many opportunities to share the gospel when you were out there yes. and like, you saw fruit from that? Like, um, Well, first of all, I mean, there was many opportunities to share the gospel. Yes, the church was growing and it has continued to grow and is, is, was vibrant. And it was, it was great because here you had all this tradition, mm -hmm. Ireland, Scotland, as we do. There, I mean, no one had been a Christian more than about 10 years, and most of them had only been a Christian two years. Yeah. So it was just this fresh, vibrant thing, and a lot of young guys in it, because it was quite hard. So you, 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 know, you had to be fairly strong to come out openly as a Christian, because mm -hmm. there'd be family opposition, possibly job problems, yeah. government's not keen. So it wasn't easy for them. A big cost, okay? Yes. Not, not, as I say, not as bad as some places. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was exciting to be part of that. And then just, so, I mean, I was still only in my 20s, but, you know, I was kind of mature <laughs> compared to some. And although they had 
pastors and all that kind of stuff as well. So it was just, just being there and interacting with people and, and people were very open to talk about spiritual stuff. And I mean, language was a bit of a challenge, yeah. but um, you know, in some ways it's easy, it's, it's good to speak in simple language. And, and both working with children through SU and being in Nepal taught me to just try and say things simply. Yeah. So there was, the, the word for prayer was really difficult and it took me ages to get my hand around it. So I just used to say I was talking to God. Which is, you know, what we do. And, but it, it, in one sense, it made more of an impact. So you're getting your hair cut. And, you know, here you have a chat with the barber, but probably it doesn't, unless you really push it, it may not go down spiritual lines. But there it did all the time. You know, why are you in Nepal? Because God told me to come. Oh, how did God tell you to come? You know, we're really interested. So you could have that conversation all the time. To the extent that actually people said if a miracle happened, the missionaries would have been more surprised than the locals. Because they were living in a spiritual kind of realm, yeah, yeah. as Hindus mainly. Um, whereas, you know, we came from this secular, materialistic background where we didn't expect God to do very much. But the reality was the church was growing. Again, I'm still not an evangelist, but I'm praying with people and uh, people wanted to learn English. So use the Good News Bible and things, simple English to... to uh, talk to people and things. So there's obviously a lot, like that's obviously impacted your life since yes. you've been home as well, a lot in terms of just that experience. Well, it was three, it was, I was there for three years, but I mean, it, and you know, so it's like 121st of my life, but I mean, it, it, it made an absolutely huge impact on me. And then things like poverty, I mean, now we have poverty in the East End of Glasgow and there's a lot I want to change, but um, you know, you see the poverty there, you, you see nice pictures in Nepal, that's great, you don't smell them because the postcards don't smell, um, but the, you know, going down the road, at the side of the road, there's effectively open sewers and things, and there's flies everywhere, and, and very basic health needs. Um, you know, kids dying of diarrhea, because the, at that time, the, th the thinking was, kids get diarrhea, too much fluid, stop the fluids. Whereas we would know losing fluid, more, get as much fluid into them as possible. Mm -hmm. And simple solutions of salt and sugar and water could, could cure that, and yet kids were dying of it. So, you know, real life expectancy, 45 or something like that. So, um, you know, just blatant needs, huge needs. Villages with no water supply, no sanitation, no nothing. So, so what brought you back then to Scotland? Like? Well, I just felt, I mean, again, I felt long term that wasn't for me. That it was absolutely was the right place. I was upset when I left, but I just felt it was right to, to come back. I had a sense that I should come back to Scotland. And not to be too political, but I did become more nationalistic while I was in Nepal. Nepal itself has two big neighbours, China and India, who are, are both a threat to it and its independence because like Sikkim and Tibet have both, India took one and yeah, yeah. China took the other. So Nepal's not secure in that sense. And when I was there, it was only 15 million people. So it was very small compared to India and China. But they were independent and they wanted to be independent. Plus, I was meeting New Zealanders, who were very international, uh, and New Zealanders who didn't want to be part of Australia and Canadians who didn't want to be part of America and such like. So uh, uh, my political kind of thinking changed because I, I was always interested but never very involved. And so when I came back, that's when I got more involved. I joined the SNP and okay. gradually got more involved. And so did you come back <clears throat> to do accountancy again over here in uh, Scotland? Yes, I came back and had a short spell with a firm of accountants. Then I was with a nursing home group, which is, you mentioned nursing homes I think earlier on. And, so I am, some people are sceptical or even antagonistic towards nursing homes as a concept. Mm -hmm. I am personally pretty positive towards care homes and nursing homes. Um, having worked in that sector, again, 
good and bad within it, but um, I think it's the right place for you know some elderly people to be, yeah. and, and has been the right place for my mother. It's been excellent. It's like when you come back to church in. Like, yeah, so I came back, um, stayed with a friend in the west end of Glasgow, and went to. I've been to quite a few churches when I was in Nepal. I, I, so I told you I was in the Church of Scotland to start with. Then I was in uh, Brethren in Zambia, a Methodist in. Uh, yeah. in London, uh, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, when it was in Kathmandu, which again wasn't approved of. They were trying, they were, the, the foreigners hoped to keep the church in Nepal from having denominations. Mm. They thought maybe it could be the first country in the world <laughs> not to have denominations, which they failed, I'm afraid. So, But even at that time, the AOG were there, so I, was, I, went, I went to that church, partly because it had fewer foreigners. And... Um, so I came back sharing a flat with a, a friend in the West End and went to what was called Glasgow Christian Fellowship, which was an independent uh, church. So I was there for two years. And then my flatmate, um, he was in the Tron and um, felt called into the ministry. So he was going to Aberdeen to study, giving up the flat. So I had to find somewhere to stay. And I'd always wondered if I should move into, let's say, a poor area. Mm. And I thought, you know, if Jesus came to Glasgow, would he stay in Bearsden or would he stay in Easterhouse? Mm. So I felt pretty convinced he would stay in Easterhouse. So one Saturday I just drove around the East End. I didn't really know the East End. If you were in Rutherglen, you didn't really go to the East End too much. But it's actually not that far, isn't it? It's like a couple of miles. at all. And um, prayed. And by, by this time I'm expecting, through my life, we're not really touching that, but I mean, I, at first... I didn't expect God to guide me. I just prayed. I'd prayed, but then kind of did it. But then now I was coming to the stage where I expected God to guide me a bit yeah. more. And um, drove around the East End and saw these flats being done up in Berlanark. And it was a whole chunk of flats, Sandgate Road pending that bit, which the council had just sold them all off to Bellway. Okay. And they, so they weren't sold off one by one. It was just the whole thing. And they gutted the whole thing, took all the roofs off. I mean, it looked... Well, when was this? Uh, 89-ish, 89. Um, it was a kind of experiment. And Bellway got an award for it, and they, they, they did it well. And there was um, 272 flats or something like that in that whole section. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, mm, that looks quite good. And they were, they were kind of partway through at the time. So there was a house that somebody had lived in for a year and uh, on sale, so I put in a bid. And I got it by... Forgotten the amount. I think it was about forty-five pounds. I was over the next bidder, <laughs> which again I saw as God's kind of confirmation. So I very much felt that, that God was in that me moving to the to, to the East End. My parents were horrified. I should say. My mother said, "If we gave you some more money, would you go somewhere better?" <laughs> but no, it's been absolutely the right place. And and so much of what's happened since then is because I've been living there. I guess you know living. I mean, we talked even with Stuart and some of the guys before that East End's had a bit of a bad rep over the years. Some of that maybe rightly so, some of that maybe not so rightly so. I think in many ways it is better, at least externally today, but you would have lived there for through some of the, the years where Glasgow was known as for some of the things that are maybe stereotypically known yeah. for, like the and, night and, crime. Within, I mean, Glasgow's big enough, you know, I don't know Belfast so much, but, uh, you know, London, obviously the bigger cities, where they, they are very much, it's, it's bits of the yeah, city, yeah, and people do not travel and know other bits of the city. And so if you were in the south side, as effectively Rutherglen was, <clears throat> uh, you know, you either stayed in the south side mm-hmm. 
or you might go to the West End or whatever, but you certainly wouldn't go to the North or the East. Yeah. And in fact, my flatmate, who is a tremendous committed Christian uh, and now a minister, um, his family had kind of come up from pretty basic background mm -hmm. and got to the Knightswood in the West End. Yeah. So when I said to him, I'm buying a flat in Berlanic, he was absolutely horrified because it just went against the whole mm -hmm. uh, ethos of... Um, you know, his family and, and, and many other people, the, the way they went, because people tend to go up in society, allegedly, rather than down. And there are cultural differences. I mean, because I started going immediately to East House Baptist Church, somebody had advised me to do that. And, you know, immediately people are much more open about their problems mm -hmm. than I had found, you know, a few miles away in Rutherglen. And... At the end of the service, people come up and say they're struggling with alcohol or whatever it was, you know, just a tremendous openness, which I found a bit strange to start with, and it took me a wee while to, despite the, having overcome the culture barrier with Nepal, mm -hmm. I still found it a little bit of a challenge. But, um, you know, and we all adapt, and you never, you know, we all belong to different places, we're all a mixture, I suppose. Um, so I'm not, but my roots are not East End, I accept, I totally accept that, but I feel... There's no, nowhere else I'd rather be now, and I've been 31 years now and feel very much this is where God wants me to be. And the whole thing about politics, mm. becoming a councillor, becoming an MP, MSP, has been very much linked to me actually being here. And so would you say at that point then, moving over to the, the East End, East Coast Baptist, obviously you said before you'd have been quite conservative coming out of Scripture Union in terms of theology and like a bit of a... I don't know what you said. I would say nut job, but I guess you had a nicer way of saying it than that. Like, were you in a similar place then? Were you still firmly evangelical? That's you had the same convictions, or were they changing at all? Or, well, I'd say I was always evangelical. I mean, if we're if we're going into the theological <laughs> side of it, you know, I would see the charismatic side of things as being a subset of the yeah. evangelical side, rather than a separate yeah. uh, section. And I think there's been a kind of softening. I mean, there was. I can't remember when I first had contact much with the charismatic side of things, but you know it was seen as very weird and very out, way out. And um, whereas now, you know, I, generally I see much more of a mix nowadays. I mean, the, the kind of songs that are being used in worship uh, are um, being used across the board. A lot of them, not exactly the same, but um, so there's. I think there's a less fat hard and fast dividing line compared and you to what said to me before, it's, it was more about how you expect God to speak to you, how you speak yes. to religion. And the prayer has always been a big part of that for you, you're saying? Yes, I, th I think, and I suppose that is maybe part of the kind of more charismatic side of things that you, people are expecting God to speak about specific situations. Mm -hmm. but, but having said that, I mean, I've, I've had a fair contact with over the years with the brethren. Yeah. And, you know, when I... Sometimes it's the words that are used that are different. It's semantic, isn't it? Because people would talk about a burden, you know, and if you take the mission field side of things, you know, I've got a burden to go to Africa or something. I mean, that, that is quite, or was quite normal language in Brethren Assembly. Circles. I grew up the Brethren, it was a lot about opening doors, yes, like the Lord might open yes. this door, which somebody so, might say something different. I mean, sometimes we get very worked up about the words, and as I've got older and more experienced or whatever, you know, I do see, um, you know, I see positives in all the churches. And, you know, now I go around, jump on a bit, but I mean, there's about 40 churches in East End in the area that I cover, that I'm aware of. And I try and go around them all, eh, once a year or thereabouts, a bit less at the moment, I'm afraid. You usually during election time, isn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, no, all the time. And, eh, you know, 
if, if a part of it is, is to do with me, if I am open and to God and looking to learn something from a service, I will virtually always get something, mm-hmm. you know? And some of them are very strange. I mean, we talked a little about the free church continuing. Uh, I also go to Catholic services um, and, you know, right across the board, Stuart's, yours, ours. And um, it, it's true. I mean, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, uh, I think we've talked a little bit before about, you know, what the relationship should be with the Catholic Church, for example. But... That'll be a whole other podcast. Uh, yes, okay, well, yeah, I suppose I would just say that we're in a very secular society nowadays and if we can work together with people as much as we can, we can. But specifically on attending a Catholic service, one of the things I'm most like is when they read the creed. The apostles of Nicene, I get mixed up which, but it's, it varies. But I just think there's something really good about that because it's the key points of the Christian doctrine that we're pretty well all agreed on. Uh, Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, resurrection, coming again, you know, these things. And okay, it misses out a lot, but you know there is something really good about about saying that. And anything you say regularly, I know, can become a problem. But so that's just an example. But I mean, any time you go and we've said that before here, we've said the Apostles' Creed, particularly whenever we can't sing, or be advised against that. We've said the Apostles' Creed because you get it; it does put you into the history of the of the Christian faith, doesn't it? This has been the message yeah. throughout. Um, I guess, like my question. I will really get on to that. If it's just as long as we are united on the core message of the gospel, and I guess that's where we've had discussions in the past about about that. We will get on. But so anyway, your Swedish story is Baptist. You've just moved into Berlarik, and then I guess this is where you're going to start. You're saying it more into the politics side. So how did yes, that was, come about? Well, I didn't even know how you joined a political party because no one in my family was involved in politics or anything. We talked about it, but that was all. So I don't know. I can't even think of anyone I knew that was in a political party. But I was, I was up in Inverness one time, must have been holiday, and bumped into these SNP people uh, out in the street and joined. So, that, so that was me, joined, and then uh, the system didn't always work, but it worked. So somebody locally phoned me up and invited me along to a meeting. And, mm-hmm. you know, it shows, I remember somebody saying with the churches, you know, the difficult bit can sometimes be getting people into the fringe of the church. Mm-hmm. And then once they're in the fringe, you get to know them, you work on them, and mm-hmm. they come to know Jesus, hopefully. Um, and it was a bit the same in, in the sense of I would have been quite happy in the fringe and not involved, but people encouraged me, got me involved, and I got more and more involved and became the branch treasurer, convener. <clears throat> and then 1998, 1997, a, one of the local councillors in Garrow Hill died, okay. and there was a by-election, and nobody else was too interested in standing, so I stood and became a councillor, so that was 1998. So you won it? You won the... Yes. Oh, was it was it SNP before? No. Oh well. But at that time, it was 1998. There was nobody in the SNP in the whole East End of Glasgow. There only were about six. I think the SNP had about five or six councillors wow. throughout the whole city, and I mean that continued because I got elected again in 1999, and I think it was that year that there were 79 councillors in Glasgow and 74 were Labour. Yeah. We had two, and there was one Tory one Lib Dem and Tommy Sheridan for the well, socialists. So what do you think, obviously God did that, but what was it, do you think, just that, particularly about you, that made people, would it, okay, let's vote for no, this No, well, I don't think it was me at all. I mean, they didn't know me because I, I didn't know anyone. Well, I knew a few people, but mm. I wasn't involved, hadn't been heavily involved or anything. But um, no, there was, there was a, circumstances. And um, I mean, I, 
well, we're now getting to the political side. I mean, I, I strongly believe that God wants people involved in, Christians involved in politics, not everybody, but, but some, and broadly in all the parties, because at the moment, at least, you can all, you can be a committed Christian and be in all the parties. You might want to talk about that later. <laughs> um, but, so, so I'm not for a minute saying God favours any of the political parties, and certainly not the SNP. <laughs> but um, I, I do see it that he opened up the way for me to get involved in politics. And uh, it, it was a mixture of things. I, I can't even remember all the details, but there, there had been cuts in the, I think, the disability benefits at that time. And so was a, the government was kind of unpopular, so there was a bit of a protest vote. And it was a seat we'd kind of done okay in. And um, lo and behold, we won it, which was a bit of a surprise at the time, because, I mean, this was before Scottish Parliament. Yeah, yeah. So winning a council seat was quite a big deal. So this was early 90s, you said? In, no, this so was 98, January 98. So this was like New Labour? Down south and well, not down yeah, yes, it was Labour. Right? It was Labour government at the time. I think Gordon Brown was the yeah, Chancellor. Yeah. So, and then I, we had the, the next proper election was ninety nine, which I managed to hold it. Which was we did not have a good election in ninety nine. That was both council and Scottish Parliament, and um, but I managed to hold the seat. But we only had two of us, <laughs> but we were the second biggest party in Glasgow. And we, there's a whole question about proportional representation, yeah, yeah. but. <laughs> Um, you know, I think most people accepted that this was not a good <laughs> for democracy. But I became then leader of the opposition, which was a tremendous opportunity because mm. I got to speak in all the debates, I got to be in all the committees, um, and I got a bit of extra money so I could do it full time mm. because I'd been councillors that had done it part time before then. So, you know, just tremendous opportunity to do that, and uh, so. I can, like, I maybe, can plan that kind of thing. Like, we'll chat through your story and then maybe come back to some of the questions about how you work in, in politics. But um, like obviously that was, you must have been one of the few Christians you think in politics at that time, do you think? Or was there others around about you that... Well, I think, to be fair, there's been Christians all the way through. And, I mean, you go, you go back to, what was it, the Clapham sect? And uh, when was it? Going again, John. Uh, this is again, <laughs> well, they were the ones that... They got involved in things like abolishing slavery and... Um, okay. Yeah, okay. I've forgotten all the names, Shaftesbury and yeah, yeah. some of these people. But um, that's going back to the 19th century. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, there have been Christians all the way through. And, I mean, you know, if we take even longer perspective, God puts these people in places. So we've got Daniel in the Old Testament. We've got Esther in the Old Testament. We've got Joseph in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, and they're my kind of models, if you like, because... It's it's that it's it's. I mean, Israel's is kind of unusual situation because it's God's people, mm-hmm. and we don't have quite that nowadays. Um, but there was when they were in exile, people like Daniel were committed to God, and in this <clears throat> secular pagan whatever you want to call it, a government setup. And so I do see I see that as where I, I see that as the norm, and I see that's where we are now, that we're in a primarily secular society. Um, and have been really all probably all my life, although the veneer of Christian veneer has kind of gone away yeah. during that time. Um, but there have, God keeps puts people in places all the way through. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know we've got Lord, now Lord Alton, David Alton, who's been around for a while in, at Westminster, yeah. and certainly from Northern Ireland. Yeah. I know committed Christian politicians and and that's been true all the way through and so that's been like so whenever you got into the public side you're like i'm a christian so i love jesus but also i'm going to I'm, this is the role i'm called to so some people are called to yeah. ministry other things. this is where i'm in yeah, uh-huh. and then so where did that continue so you were a counselor 98 99 
Well, haven't I? Well, for ten years, and um, I enjoy being a counsellor. And you know, if, if you're looking for prayer points, let's pray for the counsellors because they don't get a lot of publicity. They often don't get a lot of thanks. They don't get well paid. I mean, they, a counsellor's getting about seventeen thousand okay. for what in many cases is a full-time job. Or like these MSPs who are raking it in. Who are raking it in and the MPs even more, that's right. <laughs> so I was quite, I enjoyed being a counsellor. There was, a, we had the previous system, you had just an award, which I'd had, <clears throat> and so you were the counsellor for that ward. We then moved on to the proportional system, so it was a bigger ward and you had a few counsellors. But either way, it's much more local. So you could be at the local schools, be at the community councils, be at the churches if you wanted. And uh, I've, you know, that was that was good, and, and and most of people's problems still are council problems. I mean, most of the problems people come with are, um, well, housing's still not not council anymore, but was, uh, but the roads, the parks, the refuse, you know, these are the issues, the dog poo that people come with, and um, they are council issues. So you, you could be very involved in things that matter to people. So I think it's a very important role, and. You know, I would certainly encourage people with a Christian commitment to mm -hmm. go into that or consider it and certainly to pray for it and have a link. Our, our church actually, um, they wrote to the local councillors, which is for Easter House, and just said we were praying for them and if they wanted to know. So, I mean, one of them came back and said she'd burst into tears when she read, got the letter because oh. people didn't do that normally. You know? So yeah. that was really nice. Oh, that's good. Cause I were told to do that. So oh, yes, absolutely. That's right. And, and I think sometimes we, we, look, we do look at the MPs and MSPs and we kind of maybe sometimes forget the councillors. But, um, so I just always like to encourage people to do that. <laughs> um, so I was quite happily doing that. Um, and uh, the uh, 1990, 2008 then, um, we got to kind of June and I was looking forward to holiday, just like teachers and people yeah. get to the end of June, everyone's looking forward to holiday. And on the, I think it was the, the Friday, they announced that the MP for this area was standing down, a guy called David Marshall, and um, there was going to be a by-election. And the by-election was going to be in three weeks, four weeks' time, during the Glasgow Fair, which had never happened before. Was he a Labour guy? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty, pretty solid Labour. Glasgow was solid Labour. And um, this, you know, it was pretty well unheard of, and they, it looked like it was, you know, a quick by-election, get it out of the way without anyone noticing kind of thing. However, it became more complicated. I don't know if you want to go into all the details of it, but um, the candidate who was expected to stand for Labour uh, stood down uh, for family reasons. They, so they, they didn't have a candidate. And uh, a, f a friend of mine who had stood previously decided he was not going to stand for the SNP, so I put my name forward and was selected. Only three, week, th three weeks before the actual election, so... Um, it all happened incredibly fast, and it was very high profile. And it's it, of my political career; it's been the most high profile okay. bit. Mm -hmm. And they had various um, hustings and things at the time. There was quite a lot of TV coverage, and at one of them, the the question of uh, embryology was around at the time, as to what should and should not be allowed mm -hmm. in regard to embryology. So, and that was linked to abortion. So that came up at one of the early, early on in the campaign. And I, all the other candidates were kind of pro-abortion. And I said, well, I'm against abortion and I'm against experimenting with babies. Which I hadn't really prepared to say that <laughs> phrase, but I said it. And um, you know, the, the kind of whole place went ballistic because I'd said experimenting with babies. They'd have been happier if I'd said, uh, you know, working with embryos or something. <laughs> anyway, um, so that kind of put down a marker 
and sent out a signal and so some people were very much on board for that, some people weren't. In your party as well as in the broader... Yes, because I mean in, in the SNP certainly then and still now, you know, you get some who are like, I mean it's, it's a free vote on things like abortion, so some would be pro-life and some would be uh, pro-choice if that's what it's called. So, um, you know, I guess some of the people remember this that were watching that uh, around that time, but there was, you know, there was posters in every lamppost, <laughs> like umpteen posters in every lamppost. It was, it was quite remarkable. And, uh, but I suppose in retrospect, it was good at the time. I felt quite stressed. <laughs> uh, but the church was good. I mean, some of the folk in the church made me meals and things because they knew I couldn't, because I'm single and live on my own, but they reckoned I could, uh, um, I needed some food or something. <laughs> So I was well looked after, and um, lo and behold, big shock, we won what was, the th I think, the third safest seat wow. for Labour. So, um, Are you pretty convinced that the Lord was directed you through that? The fact well, I felt God was in control. I mean, the fact that I hadn't really planned any of this. I, did, I was quite happy in the council, and it suddenly all kind of happened, and the, the way opened up for me to be the candidate. But I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a kind of word or anything that I was going to get elected. And I... And I and with agreement with the SNP, I mean, most of them, one or two said I, he, he's going to get elected. But, <laughs> and, and what actually happened, of course, with Labour was that Margaret Kern had become, who was quite high profile at the time, uh, became the uh, Labour candidate. And so she was the favourite in the polls and with the bookies and things after that. So it was quite, it was quite a big surprise. It was a small margin, 365 majority. And I what remember. year was this? 2008. So I became an MP. So I'm down in Westminster, and then I—I I mean, I did get involved in pro-life and uh, like the embryology bill mm. and things, um, which I didn't know much about. Still don't know much about. Uh, but uh, so that—that that, that was good. And there was—you get a free vote on a number of issues, and, mm. and that was down there. But I mean, I've tried to be open about my faith in all of these settings. Um, I'm—I'm occasionally you get somebody coming to, you know, ask you about, about your faith mm -hmm. and, and so on. I think there's a, a bit of an extra problem in politics that people, political debate tends to be very black and white. And um, it, it, it's difficult for people, I think extra difficult for people to say they're a bit unsure about something, yeah. even if they are. Mm. So... I'm not sure anywhere is easy to share the gospel with or, you know, evangelise or whatever, but um, it can be quite hard on the political side. Like, I mean, I have, I'll do this a wee bit after, but some of our members sit in questions, and one of them was like, do you think your Christian faith has helped you, like, in politics? Like, is there maybe virtues or fruits of that that have been helpful? Or do you think it's hindered you in the sense that you're coming for a lot more opposition than you would... Well, I guess both of Yes, both of these things, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, as, as I've described it to you, you know, I do see God leading me through my life. And I, I, if it wasn't for my faith, I wouldn't be there. I mean, I wouldn't be living in Berlin. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have gone to Nepal. So, I mean, the, the whole thing yeah. is linked into my faith. So I cannot imagine my life without mm -hmm. Christian faith. So, absolutely, I believe, I believe God's led me into that, put me there, whatever. Um, I think there's there's different things. I mean, one, and, and I, should be, I should be careful because there's probably, if, if we use the term evangelical, um, there are probably half a dozen evangelicals in the parliament. So that's quite good. That's encouraging and all the rest of it. There's others who have different levels of Christian faith, you know, 
So I don't know where they stand exactly, but you know, there's six that are pretty open about it. Um, and a kind of lost my train of thought there. Yes, but so so, and they are all different. I mean, if you looked at the six of us, we're not all the same. Because like, you say that it's cross-party, like from this yes. guy in the conservatives, isn't there? You you meet with one of the other SNP guys as well to pray with, like. Yeah, we have a prayer group once a month, yeah. and uh, that's open to people working in the parliament and MSPs, and uh, so people nobody makes it all the time, but mm -hmm. uh, people make it when they can. So that's encouraging, and I can talk to. Well, I, I think I'm careful mentioning names. No, no, I was about to say, but there's I better not say. That. I think I can be quite open about this one. So, Murdo Fraser, I got on pretty well with, although politically. Yeah, I was going to say politically, probably not. But. No, probably not. That's right. And at the time of the referendum in 2014, some of the churches particularly wanted to have Christian speakers mm -hmm. on both sides. So, Murdo and I ended up doing this kind of tour. <laughs> I think we ended up with 14 uh, sessions where we cool. went either to one church or a group of churches, and were able, I think, to have a more, I hope, a more civilised debate. In fact, actually, I was surprised because once or twice people actually commented uh, that it was good to have that tone mm -hmm. that we managed yeah. to have between us um, and discuss what was a big subject yeah. um, in, a, in a kind of civilised way. And, I mean, I would hope always to do it in a civilised way, but I, I, that would be one thing, partly to answer your question, that the way we do politics mm -hmm. as Christians should be a bit more gentle, a bit more respectful. Now, I do say quite hard things to people sometimes. <laughs> I was critical of one of my colleagues yesterday openly in the chamber. So um, I'm not saying I get it right all the time, but I think that would be one area where, you know, and hopefully more honest. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, it's helped me be more small i independent mm -hmm. so we were talking about tax the other day because we're looking at the budget and i kind of took a slightly different line both from my party and frankly from everyone else because yeah. well basically i said i was open to raising taxes which nobody else is really saying so and and again i see that as faith helping me stand a little bit more independently mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean all the other Christians would go down the same route as me on that or anything else. Or, and the thing is, if you're in government, eh, you are limited by the government. So I'm a backbencher, I'm not in the government, and that gives me a bit more freedom. Um, but I, do, I know I push the boundaries at times, and I've been warned at times and different things. So there's a kind of balance in there. I was going to say that. So you've always said you were an MP down Westminster. Was that one term? You were there. Well, it wasn't. It was only barely two years because I was, it was a by-election. Then we came to 2010. And Margaret Curran got the seat back? Uh, she, she got well, she the seat back, back that's right. And uh, I was out. So. <laughs> and then you were MSP? Well, I had a year out, did some voluntary work with Glasgow City Mission mm -hmm. and the Citizens Advice, and then got back in. And again, that was a surprise, 2011, uh, to get in as an MSP, because mm -hmm. again, it was a Labour, strong Labour yeah. seat, and that was a surprise. And then you held that last thing? Uh, yes, la yes, 2016, that's right, so, and now we're 2021. So, like, obviously over that time there's been some pretty significant ways you've had to, or maybe, unless they had to, but you did stand up against what would be the prevailing opinion, I'm sure, both of the Parliament and your party, about some of the issues, like, I guess there was same-sex marriage debate at that point, yes. <clears throat> um, like, even abortion has been rumbling on about these kind of things, like, so I guess that... Like, must have been hard. Is there times that your party have pushed against you? Have you found it hard to take a principled stand? Have you been made to 
to, oh, don't say that word. Do you think you've been sidelined at all because of your stands in these things? Or I get more of a row, you know, often for just my tone or um, when I speak about non, um, what do you say, conscience issues or something. So yeah. I can come back to that. On the, you know, because there's a free vote on abortion, assisted suicide, assisted dying, um, same-sex marriage, Yes, there was a bit of pressure, but the, the, the official line was that you were free. And um, so I didn't have a huge amount. I remember when we came to the main debate on same-sex marriage, I think one of my colleagues was sitting behind me making faces. Um, and it is unusual. To, to, you know, most of the stuff is party, mm -hmm. and you're pretty much signed up to that. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big deal not to. But that one was, it was free, I think, for virtually all the parties. Um, and it, it was interesting working cross-party because I'd, uh, one or two of the Labour MSPs uh, were strong Catholics and very much uh, on board and we worked very closely together, uh, which was, was good and with some of the kind of Christian organisations mm -hmm. like CARE and Spark and all these different ones, um, which has been good as well. So, um, but, but I did, at the time, I was keen well, the Christians pray about the tone. I mean, the tone in society wasn't very nice about around um, same-sex marriage. And I was keen that in the parliament, you know, we shouldn't all be kind of hating each other. We could be able to disagree without that. So, and I asked quite a lot of people to pray around that time. And when it came to the debate, you know, I was thinking what kind of tone to take. And the, you know, I kind of knew that there'd be a lot of this, you know, well, I'm in love with someone, so I should get married to him. And it wouldn't be on the kind of, heavy theological side it would be in this emotional emo more emotional side so i thought so well i think god gave me the idea um i thought well I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that so i said well this debate's about relationships and for me uh, the key relationship is my relationship with jesus um so just saying that was a little bit unusual let's say in um, the parliament in the debating chamber so i said it anyway <laughs> And a lot of the time you don't know what reaction you've got. I mean, people notice these things. Yeah, yeah. Although I got a nice text from one of the Tory staff members who said, that was fantastic, I can't believe you said that, you know? So that was good, at least somebody noticed. Mm. So a wee bit of encouragement is nice yeah, along the way as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was okay, but sometimes I get more grief. You know, I mean, I was fairly gentle this week saying that I thought we could raise taxes, but, um, you know, if I go too far, I'm trying to think of an example, but um, you know they may not like my tone or the, mm -hmm. the way I say things, um, and I think I would be seen as being a little bit more independent mm -hmm. because I feel the parliament as an institution is quite important, and you know for any country that's true, not not just ours, mm -hmm. and and that's true again across the parties because you get some very good. I mean, Malcolm Chisholm was an example, a Labour MSP, who took that kind of bigger view mm -hmm. and was prepared to you know at least ask questions uh, of you know where we're all going and things. So I've got, I've got more respect for people like, like that, you know. Again, so what, what's been great here to see is how, as you said, that your Christian faith has been the kind of, what's guided you through all of this, um, through every step of the way, which is like encouraging. Today, like as you think back, I guess, talk through your childhood, you think, yeah, I'm still, like Jesus is still why I'm here. He's still the centre of what's going on. Like have you seen continued growth throughout that time? Um, or is it, where's there been challenging periods, do you think? Or? Yes, I don't, I don't know where best place to measure our own growth, <laughs> are we? Because <laughs> uh, you don't see things often changing. And you know, I always remember in Nepal, 
because there was quite a lot of, I think what most people would say, spiritual warfare in Nepal. You know, and mm -hmm. I remember a friend who was from much more of a brethren background saying, you know, I thought I'd overcome certain things in my life mm -hmm. and now here I'm struggling with them again. And so, it, you know, I don't think Christian life is like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's much more. Anyway, yeah, it's a, you've got them down. The things you think, you know, you've got on top of, you haven't. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's a question of faith that, yes, you know, he is able to keep until that day what I've entrusted to him. And so it's a mixture, isn't it? I mean, it, a lot of it depends on God and what he's working out and things. So I don't, I don't think we see ourselves growing. Kids don't see themselves growing unless you put them up against the wall and mark them, don't you? So um, I guess we are the same. But there's still been that same commitment, though. Like you're oh, still... Well, I, I, I hope so, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't... I, yeah, I wouldn't... I mean, I, there's days I've struggled. I mean, Nepal had situations, you know, where I struggled. Um, I, I, I was, I was work, living and working in Kathmandu and I, I had a network of friends and I was in the church and it was great. And then the mission decided... They were short of an accountant person in another town called Tansen. So they decided I was going and they didn't discuss it. <laughs> well, they did discuss it. I said no and then they still said, you're going. And that's something I really, really struggled with, and I mean, it kind of drove me to prayer. And um, so, I mean, that was a kind of down point in one sense. But you know, there's again, I'm hesitant to quote books because so many of the books I've read are probably so long ago. But what, there was one I think called something like "The Bumps Are What You Climb On," <laughs> and you know, so the difficult bits are actually where we grow more. I think. And uh, so I would look back on that as an experience where I grew, but right at the time it did not feel good. Um, and, and that's probably been true in other aspects of my life as well. So, but, but I'm always, always open to growing and being challenged. And, you know, even this, you're asking me questions, it makes me think about things. And, you know, am I <coughs> being as evangelistic as I should be, or do I share my faith enough as well, I should be? Well, that's one of the things that um, somebody asked, like, do you find yourself, like, so it was great to hear you talk about mission, as a, one of your passions, wanting to see people uh -huh. who didn't know Jesus come to know Absolutely, Jesus. Yes. I, I guess being in your public role now, it would be easy for your focus to be in more social issues that Christians are obviously concerned about um, and other people are concerned about. But have you still got that same desire, do you think, to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus? Are you able, in other ways, you're able to get involved in still doing that? Well, I hope so. I mean, as, I, as I've said all the way through, you know, I don't see one as my gifts as evangelism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to think, oh, I should... But I should be an evangelist, so we should all be evangelists. But, you know, I think now I accept that that's not probably the case. Although I think there's a wider point that the churches need to encourage the gift of evangelism a bit more. But you even said, you didn't say earlier, didn't you, that we should all still try and share our faith. Well, absolutely, Even if yes. we're not uh, a yes. big evangelist, per yes. se. Yeah, exactly, that's right, yes. So that's how I see it more. So I should be open with my faith, and if it's appropriate, when it's appropriate. And I could also throw in there, we have, we have things called cross-party groups in Parliament, and... Um, they could be on anything. I mean, I do one on railways, and there's ones on like multiple sclerosis and all sorts of things. And they're not officially part of the parliament, but they're recognised by the parliament. And the idea is that MSPs go and interest groups go and things. Mm -hmm. So I lead one uh, on freedom of religion or belief, okay. uh, which is primarily about um, persecuted Christians and others around the world. Although we do look at things here as well. Um, David Robertson, you may have heard of. <laughs> We've had him speak. And, and so uh, I've seen some interesting <laughs> chat between you guys on social media. So, um, so I, I suppose, and we have a prayer breakfast which I head up. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think if you ask people, most of the MSPs, you know, who's religious in the parliament, <laughs> my name would be up there somewhere. Uh, 
but but yes, it's a question of what you share and when and how and. I suppose I feel like I did say at one point, you know, how we do politics, and that that would apply to how you teach in a school, how you nurse in a hospital, how you are a pastor, how you are an engineer, how you do anything. You know, the way we do it should be just that little bit different. Um, probably not swearing so much, and possibly, you know, other things, and and and. So I suppose I see that, and that's quite hard to measure and, and hard to see, you know. And I mean, my hope is that, you know, because I try to be truthful, other people lie a bit less. But, I don't, you know, how, how do you measure that? You know, if they're being a little bit more honest than if I wasn't there, but I don't know how you measure that. So, like, obviously, you said you're 63, uh, yes, which I was right. surprised by, John. So am I, yes. <laughs> I thought you were at least 80. No, <laughs> um, what are you... What do you see going forward? Like, do you think retirement is on the horizon, or have you any plans for the rest of your life? You just see what Laura's going to do. Yeah, I mean, politics. I think there is one thing about politics that which there is not a lot of job security. Mm -hmm. And you know, as I say, I have won what were considered safe seats, so I should know, and I do know that you know there are no safe seats, and I do not have a safe seat. So you can only really think of the next election. I have been uh, vetted by the party, so the party approved me, not altogether plain sailing, I have to yeah. say, but I wasn't the only one. Um, we were kind of questioned about things I'd said and done, um, but I got through that, and then the local party has selected me again, again, not without challenge. People, uh, others thinking maybe I could be more inclusive, as they would say. Um, but uh, I have got through that, so I am the candidate for the next election, and. So once again, another election we're in God's hands as to what happens. I mean, apart from me, if I could retire and I could do more in the church, you know, I mean, my, my church involvement, I think that is maybe one of your questions, has been restricted inevitably. And uh, so I, I can't be involved in the cafe, for example, through the week and all these things. But, but you know, that's right, and I need to accept that. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure God's got a plan. So I'm just kind of waiting to find out what God's plan is. I mean, another aside is that the campaigning for this election is really weird. We can't do all the things yeah, we normally yeah. do. Um, but if, if I'm in it, I mean, I'm not going to say when I'm retiring, but 66 is the retire, normal retiral date, so I think it's unlikely I would stand after I was 66. That's great. Well, that's been really interesting, like, kind of just looking back on your life, like, certainly the political side as well, like, heading towards retiring. Like, are you, are you married? Have you got kids at all? Is it, what's, no, what's I'm happily thing? single. Happily single? Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, yeah, First Corinthians 7 talks about, you know, being married, being yeah, single, yeah. and it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and in some, was. sometimes Always. in the churches, <laughs> we could go on all day with this, um, sometimes in the churches, you know, there is quite a lot of expectation that everyone's going to get married. Mm. And I, I certainly, when I was younger, did assume I would get married. And there's a whole story to that, which involves somebody from Northern Ireland, but <laughs> we'll not go there either. Um, but, I mean, right now, I am very happy I'm single. And, you know, I believe, again, that's just one of the ways God has led me. And it's absolutely, it's not the norm and it's not for everyone. But, you know, I clear, Paul talks about there being, you know, sure. clear advantages if you're single. And it, I mean, clearly it gives me more time that I don't spend with family mm -hmm. that, well, the question is, what do I do? Do I reply to emails or do I actually spend more time with God? But, um, you know, I have been reading more through the COVID through uh, just because I've, I've had more time and I've tried to be a bit more disciplined about, you know, I used to read a lot as a student, then I, frankly, I have not been reading a lot 
of, especially of Christian material. And over the last year or so, I've been trying to make more of an effort uh, to get back to that. But again, you know, if there's younger people watching here who are thinking about the whole marriage question, um, yes, marriage is great, marriage is the norm, having kids, having family, absolutely. But a valid part for some people in the Christian life is to stay single. And that can be very satisfying, very fulfilling. Risks as well, you become selfish, you get everything, I get to do what I want, <laughs> listen to the radio programs I want, eat the food I want, don't have to compromise. Um, so yes, there's risks, but there, there's a lot of pluses as well. Yeah, sure. And a lot of kind of freedom and, you know, I don't have to, some of my colleagues, you know, they, if, they, if they're outspoken, the danger is, that, you know, their, their, their partner or their kids get mocked or get a difficult time at school or something like that, you know. So that's an area that I don't have to worry about. And you can totally see the Lord's hand in that throughout. I mean, your story of being in these different places would have been a lot harder, maybe unlikely, if there was. Well, Nepal was a good example. I mean, as, as a single guy, and it'd be different now because I'm in my 60s, but I mean, in your 20s in Nepal, I mean, in a, in a young culture, you know, a single guy fits in really well. And it was male-dominated, I accept, so it was more of a challenge if you were a single woman. Um, but it meant, you know, I, if I went to meet five Nepali friends or a Nepali family. Well, I'm just one, I'm no threat to them and I don't have a self-contained unit. Whereas a family going to meet another family, there's just a different dynamic in that and it's a, there's a good side to that. But uh, no, I, I've seen many opportunities where, and, and even if I, you know, I walk around the constituency, I'm on my own, so I think people feel happier to speak to me if I'm there with a yeah, yeah. group. Uh, they maybe don't. No, I didn't. Right, anyway, John, that's been great. Really encourage you to see the Lord's hand through all of that. Um, and you've touched a little bit in the politics here as well. So actually, you've probably answered most of the questions that um, some of the members of our church kind of asked. But um, let me just go through a few of them because they'll probably shoot me if I don't. Um, one of the things I wanted to get, I guess, get clear was that, because we, we've had conversations in the past about your kind of more ecumenical like, work of going to the Catholic Church and all that kind of stuff. And um, what I've appreciated about you and even in your kind of public on Twitter and Facebook and all that, is that you are keen to listen to other people and you're not jumping in there with a lot of what could be perceived as anger or um, sometimes, to be fair. <laughs> uh, but like, you're, you're, I guess, obviously, it's broader than I would be. I'd probably I'd be perceived as a fundamentalist that would be like shutting everybody down and you're at least more ready to listen to broader perspectives. But I do think it's been clear, again, as we've went throughout your story, that at the heart of the gospel, there's probably a, a strong like agreement between us more than in, in many other ways. So like, has there been, as you, would you still class of an evangelical throughout your life? Is that still where you're at? And what would you mean by that? What do you mean by I am an evangelical Christian? Yeah, I mean, it's a term that probably, it probably has changed its meaning a bit yeah, over yeah, the that's years. That's what I think, because when you said it, when you were in SU, I'm sure it had different connotations then than yes. today. I think it probably in SU, I was young enough, I wasn't so much aware of it, but certainly as a student, you know, mm. it became much more an issue <clears throat> and but I mean, you know, the, clearly the largest church, the main church is the Church of Scotland in Scotland, and, and it has changed over the years, and I would say probably become more evangelical. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, my faith's in God, not in the Bible, but, and then we can argue over whether it's infallible or inerrant or these different words, but um, yes, all of that is, is key to me. I mean, I, I don't understand every bit of the Bible, but I very much see it as my guiding principle and so yeah I mean having said I agree I see something good I get something good from every church service I go to there's also things I disagree with in every church service I go to 
even more. <laughs> and um, so, I'm not sure I'm answering your question here. So, so we would usually talk about want. the whole, like, one of the ways we would think about the gospel is God, man, Christ response kind of thing. Yes. And so I think there's clearly agreement, big agreement on God, person of God, person of Jesus, definitely. Like, man, so we would talk a lot, and again, I spoke to Stuart about this last week, about sin and our rebellion against yes. God. Now, not necessarily had you use those words throughout mm -hmm. your kind of story. Like, is that something, have you got an understanding of that, that we are sinners, that people are sinners Absolutely. who need saved? Is yes, that at the heart of yes. what you're meaning? I mean, I grew, I grew up, again, I'm, I'm weary now of saying anything. It goes <laughs> back to when I was growing up, it's, it's long ago, but something called the Four Spiritual Laws. Okay. Uh, which was a little booklet. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember this, Brother of These. And I think there's modern versions mm -hmm. of it, but that's what it was called at the time. And, you know, that was basically God created the world, mm -hmm. we have sinned, Jesus came to die for our sin, uh, you know, we need to have faith in Jesus, and I think that was pretty much the key, the key points. And I absolutely, I haven't changed Because we spoke about even about atonement, about the necessity of Jesus dying for our sins, and that being at the centre, like the Apostles' Creed, it's there as well. Like. Yes, I mean, I'm not a, an evangelist, I'm not an evangelist, I've said that, and I'm not, also not a theologian, so, um, you know, you would probably lose me quite quickly if we got into, what is it, propitiation? Yeah, propitiation. Some of these words. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would see myself as being mainstream evangelical, and, and really the most important need for somebody is to know God. And what happens if they don't? What happens if someone doesn't become a Christian? Well, that's a tricky one. I got a... C.S. Lewis's, some of his books for mm -hmm. Christmas, because I read them as a student and I hadn't read them for a while and I didn't even have them in the house. And I've just been reading a book called The Great Divorce. Mm -hmm. And although that was written, I think during the war actually, Second World War, um, I would encourage people to read that because um, it is a view of heaven and hell. And put in quite a good way, I think, because yes, I believe in hell and I believe in heaven. Um, but I think there's a lot of misunderstandings around hell and how people end up in hell. And, and one of C.S. Lewis's arguments really is that it's our choice. You know, we've all got a choice. And it's best if everyone's heard the gospel so then they can choose the gospel or not. But there's a sense in, in that people who don't want to know Jesus now and follow God's way are not going to suddenly want it when they die. So they wouldn't actually want to be in heaven because that's what it'll be about. It'll be all about God, more so than here. So it'll be more real in a sense, and, and C.S. Lewis has the picture of the even the grass in heaven is so solid that we would kind of cut our feet on it because we are so ephemeral, if that's the right word. Um, and hell is so small that they could hardly, they couldn't even get into it if they wanted to. So I'm, I'm more comfortable, I think, now in that kind of, talking in that kind that of way. That wishy side of it, John. Well, that you can call it that if you want, yes. Um, but I would emphasise our choice. I mean, you could also get into, you know, predestination and election and all of these kind of things, which I don't think I really <laughs> probably want to go to. But it, it's clearly both God's choosing us, which I'm very grateful for, because I don't think I did anything to deserve it. But we also have the choice to respond. And one thief on the cross did respond, and one thief on the cross didn't respond. And uh, so there's, it seems very clear in Jesus' teaching that there's a black and white, the sheep and the goats, or, you know, the wise and the foolish. And again, so what it, I guess why I wanted to say that is because I do think that that's at the heart of what it is to be a Christian, obviously. Yes. And because there is agreement there, now again, I would probably use different terms. I would probably <laughs> cast that a bit stronger in, in different ways. But because there's agreement there, I think therefore there's a freedom 
to disagree on other areas right about and even significant areas so there might be ways that i would disagree with probably even you and therefore we'd struggle to be in the same church together if we were to play them out those kind of disagreements but actually we're still in the kingdom and therefore i think that's where you'd be really helpful for many of us christians um, in scotland who feel that because you're there you've been able to have a voice and represent a broader demographic because there is agreement there at the heart of the gospel but one of the things that we've been asked here which i find interesting is that it seems to be you get hatred or too strong a word you get significant opposition from two places one being a kind of secular society that doesn't agree with your views on abortion and things like that and i've seen you you seem to be quite gentle most of the time or you're you're okay with engaged with that i do see you also get significant opposition from christians yes like i wanted to ask how you respond to that because in some ways i imagine that could be harder because maybe you shouldn't yeah i don't know how do you respond to well, that? well it's quite difficult because i don't think it, i don't think it's good that christians are having arguments in the open mm-hmm. square you know as, as a principle so that would be my starting point and i think it's disappointing that the church you know now for two thousand years most of the time, has been, you know, at loggerheads with each other. And that, I mean, that affects sectarianism, it affects, you know, the Reformation, all of these things, all of which good has probably come out of, but, you know, it's not been a good witness because Jesus specifically prayed that his people would be one and that other people would know we're Christians because of our love for each other. And and people do notice that. So it's, I I remember on a student mission in Socky Hall Street doing a drama and... Um, it was, I don't think it was about love, I don't know what it was about, but I mean, somebody came up and said, oh, I can see you all love each other, you know, that, that's amazing. But it, it shows that, that people do pick that up. And even the respect, like Murdo Fraser and I had uh, for each other when we were doing these debates. So I just find it very sad, um, the, the kind of splits, and especially as we move, I mean, I think it's different in Europe in the 1600s or the 1700s, you know, everyone was nominally Christian at least, and and theology and whether the Pope was in charge or not were the key Definitely issues. Right. Nowadays, we are in this secular society. I mean, some people have said there's only 2% of the population of Scotland have a living faith, mm-hmm. which makes us on the verge of being unevangelized. Yeah. So really, I think, you know, was it the men of Issachar understood the times? I forget. I, I, I always get Issachar and Zebulun mixed up. Oh, okay, up. I thought you were quoting some like historian guy. Yeah, Issachar it, the Bible. In the Bible. Uh, definitely. Issachar, right, okay. They understood the times, and I think that's a key one, is, you know, what are the battles we're fighting now? They're not necessarily, they're not even the same as the ones for 50 years ago, let alone 500 years ago. And um, I think we're in such a secular situation now and, and that we really need, if, if, we've, if we can agree with people, and frankly, on freedom of religion, that would go to, because the Muslims are being persecuted in, in the Uyghurs in China and in Burma. So even on, at that kind of level, we could even work, we can work with Muslims or any faith. But specifically, when we come down to the Christian faith uh, and the different branches of it, um, yes, I'm disappointed that the public see a very split lot when from the public's point of view, the secular public's point of view, we agree very, you know, we believe very much similar things, like the creed. Yeah. And it's hard because obviously the truth is important, so you can hear people say, like, it's it's loving to speak the truth, but I was reading again this week the whole, if you speak the truth, truth in, in love, love. Yes. and it's not, it's not just as easy saying speaking the truth is love. 
Like, which is true as well, I think. But you need to speak the truth in love. And sometimes I would concern, even though, again, I'm in a very strong theological opinions and I'm sure fall into the trap of like speaking just too fast and stuff. But it is, yeah. It well, was, I was speaking to somebody who was, who's autistic the other day and at this point, because he's saying autistic people are always honest. You know, we'll tell the truth. And I said to him, yeah, but this thing about how you tell the yeah. truth is also important. And he, he, to be fair to him, he understood that. <laughs> Um, that's good. I'm actually just scanning down these, and I reckon that you have covered most of these just throughout your story. Um, people are asking, you know, how have you found being an MP as a Christian? You spoke about that. Ever been encouraged to go against your convictions or be quiet? You spoke about that. Like um, opposition. Have you ever felt like quitting? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think I said, you know, if, if, if I had not been vet, got through vetting or selection and I'd been forced to retire at this point, you know, I think I could have adjusted to that. Um, I don't think, I've, I've not, I don't remember feeling I would wanted to walk away from it. It's been more that I've thought, you know, I might be dropped or whatever. Um, and as I say, I mean, it, it's not always been on the obvious uh, kind of Christian issues or moral issues or conscience issues that the, the, the most difficulty has come from it. it. It could have been over just, you know, what I say about tax or what I say about um, something else and so on. So sometimes that's been the kind of harder area. And then the other stuff is how does your church support you? And you've, you've spoke a little bit about that. Um, yeah, we changed uh, pastors. I mean, the, the previous pastor, a guy called Sandy Weddle, had been in the church for a long time and retired eventually a couple of years ago. So he was, he's been, he was always very supportive of me and so when I got elected, I mean, I used to teach in the Bible class, so I had to drop that. I used to be a trustee, dropped that. And um, I said to him, when I, when I, I can't remember which, when I, probably when I went to Westminster first time, I said, you know, I think I should go and visit other churches. So he was supportive of that. So it does mean um, that one week I go to my own church and one week I go and visit another church, which I've been doing now for quite a while, although COVID's made it a bit more difficult. Um, and I'm glad to say that when he retired, and we've got now got a couple of pastors, um, they are also yeah. pretty supportive of that. So they, they do pray for me. And I mean, one thing our church has been doing during lockdown is a slightly shorter interview, I have to say, <laughs> um, on, you know, what are you doing tomorrow kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I will bring that this book's been republished, so it's, you, you may have heard of this one, uh, Thank God It's Monday, which is by a guy called Mark Green at the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's been republished, so again, I would encourage people to read that. So that's the importance of our work. And I think you get this, um, that it's, you know, some churches traditionally, we prayed for the Sunday school teachers who were with the kids for 45 minutes, but you didn't pray for the teachers who were with the kids yeah, yeah. for 45 hours, or no, not quite as much as that. <laughs> um, and, you know, the importance of churches praying for and supporting people, all of us, not just politics, in the secular work. So kind of based on that idea, Neil and Pam were doing a little interview, you know, this time tomorrow, I think it's called. And so, I, like, for example, I did that. And I, if they're away, I occasionally preach and things. So, um, no, I think I've, I've, my church is very supportive, which is good because I have heard of churches. I heard of the horror story was an MP, I think possibly from Northern Ireland, <laughs> who went to London as an MP and went to look for a church. And in one church he went to, at the end, they said, the, the minister said, and what do you do? 
And he said, I'm in politics, I'm an MP. And he said, I think you better find another church. Yeah. Which is really, really sad. About any profession, you know, if they said that just because of what somebody does. David, one of the things, again, when we were keen to chat with you, I totally agree with that. I think that we need to encourage and empower people to live for Jesus, wherever that might be. And even when we do our internships, part of 20 Schemes, and we're training guys from scheme backgrounds, and we're intensely pouring into their lives at the end of two years, and they're getting to do loads of ministry, we always say at the end of it, the Lord might call you into vocational, whatever you call that, ministry for a church, mm. or you might go into the secular workplace, but wherever you are, you need to live for Jesus. You yes. need to like, love him and love others. And, yeah. and that's and where OM, I mean, even OM, I was doing accountancy, but OM is probably the part of my life where I was you know, most in that kind of Christian, intense training environment, which it was. And that has stood me, that's right, in good stead all, all the way through. And the final thing is just how can our local church, how can other local church, how can other Christians encourage you and support mm. you um, in your role as an MP? Is there anything, specific? obviously prayer, I would love to get some prayer no, points. Prayer, that's right, and I mean, I send out a prayer newsletter because, again, I didn't mention that one, but that was one of OM's requirements that you send out a prayer letter. I think it used to be once a quarter or something like that. Uh, so I, I try once or twice a year to send out a prayer news with kind of some points for people to pray with. Mm. So if you're not getting that, I can get you it. Um, I, I think the general one I always say to people is wisdom. Um, in, in some of the areas we've been talking about. I mean, I think we're encouraged that although some people are evangelists and some are teachers and some are other things, we are all in, encouraged to ask for wisdom. And um, I think that's very much one because kind of knowing which battles to fight, we've kind of talked around that. Um, you know, you cannot, I cannot fight every single battle that's out there that, that, that we could. So I think we need guidance, wisdom from God as to which battles to fight. And uh, so I've felt that at times. I mean, there's been some which I could have been involved in. Other Christian organisations have been involved in. I mean, the smacking ban was an example. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I was wildly enthusiastic about it, but I just felt it wasn't going to be one mm -hmm. that I was going to, you know, I felt I should be putting my time and effort into. Whereas a assisted dying, um, same-sex marriage, and a, probably the transgender ones would be ones where I do feel uh, I should be putting... I think I appreciate that, and obviously we, we could spend another podcast talking about your political views. Deliberately didn't want to go there. I'm sure there's many ways we would agree and disagree on many of these things. But John, it's really thankful. Thank you for coming and giving us your time. It's been great to see the Lord's work throughout your life um, and your story. And you've how long has that been? Like 15 hours? Is that not too bad? <laughs> An hour and 34. That's not bad. That's shorter than Stuart last yeah, week. Yeah, we short, could tell him. Yes, I didn't think it was going to be this long. Yeah, but yeah, there you go. No, no, that's really helpful. Mate. Yeah, that's I'm great. Just, that's really, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Good. I think that's us. Thank you for listening to the My Hope Story podcast. To find out how you can have your own hope story, go to www.myhopestory.co.uk.